This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Have you ever finished a conversation and then immediately realized you didn't remember a single word that the other person said? Are you so lost in your own thoughts that you just can't focus long enough to connect with those around you? If so, you are not alone. Ashley Palathra and Ted Brodkin have written an entire book about how we can get back in tune with each other. Ashley is a clinical researcher, therapist, and doctoral candidate in clinical psychology at the University of North Carolina, my alma mater. This time, though, Chapel Hill School of Medicine. I studied economics. Ted is an associate professor of psychiatry with tenure at the Perelman School of Medicine at the University of Pennsylvania. He's been honored as one of the top doctors by Castle Connolly Medical for the past 13 years. Together, they take us on a wide-ranging and sometimes unanticipated journey everywhere from autism research to pro basketball to tai chi to demonstrate the principal components of attunement and dig deep into the underlying pillars of human connection. It's a lesson that any happy retiree can fine-tune to improve our social connectedness, one of the most critical pieces of an ATROB life. So let's find some attunement with Ashley and Ted. I'm Wes Moss. The prevailing thought in America is that you'll never have enough money and it's almost impossible to retire early. Actually, I think the opposite is true. For more than 20 years, I've been researching, studying, and advising American families, including those who started late, on how to retire sooner and happier. So my mission with the Retire Sooner podcast is to help a million people retire earlier while enjoying the adventure along the way. I'd love for you to be one of them. Let's get started. Ashley and Ted, Ashley Palathra, Ted Brodkin, join us here on the Retire Sooner podcast. Thank you both of you for being with us. Where are you both located currently? Where are you broadcasting from? (laughs) Currently, I am broadcasting from Connecticut. I'm visiting um, my early retiree parents, actually, in Connecticut. But I do live in North Carolina right now doing a residency at UNC Children's Hospital. So that is, by the way, that is my alma mater. So I, I, wow. I spent, t- that's where I graduated from. So I'm, okay, I'm a Tar, Tar Heel. Heel. There we go. Got so, um, but you, but you were all, but you were at the Catholic university though, currently doing yes. your PhD. Correct? Exactly. Okay. Finishing. Yep. How much time until you finish the PhD? It's right around the corner. Graduation will be in May and then you can call me Dr. Palatra. I love it. I love it. All right. Well, and Ted, <laughs> you're at university of Pennsylvania. Uh, that's right. Are you in Philly or where, where do you live? Yep. I'm in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. That's where I live and that's where I work. Gosh, you know, it's because I, so I'm from Lancaster, Pennsylvania, you know, ah. like probably an hour and a half to your West or mm-hmm. I'm near, near Lancaster. But when I was a kid, I used to drive into the city and go to Philadelphia Phillies games and Eagles games. And I do still remember the cheesesteaks. Obviously <laughs> there's the Gino and the Pats and everything, but you know, and, and I haven't had one of those forever. There's one place in Atlanta called Woody's Cheesesteaks. Mm-hmm. 
that is 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 a very much just just kind of like that. It's amazing food. But this week on CNBC, a company called I believe it's Gold Belly. Mm-hmm. Okay. Gold Belly is the it's kind of like a national Grubhub, and they're supposed to be able to deliver your favorite food from any place in the world. Like you want wow. Kansas City barbecue at your house <laughs> twenty four hours, Texas brisket at your house twenty four hours. Ge- oh they even brought gosh. up Philadelphia cheesesteaks, and I was thinking, how do you deliver a cheesesteak in twenty four hours? How can that still be good? Yeah. So I looked it up. They I guess they deliver them frozen without the cheese, so you have to apply the cheese. Okay, so it's uh. not soggy. Well, don't tell my kids or else we're going to be ordering from that like on a regular basis. So. Well, you guys are already in Philly, yeah, so you like can that. Grubhub at least the, the, the yeah, cheese that's true. Drinks, right? No, I mean from other places in the country. Uh, okay. The grass is always greener, right? It, it <laughs> really is. So give me a little background. How did you guys connect? And I want to get, obviously talk about missing each other, your, the book project that you guys have launched and have worked on together. How did you guys meet and how did you want to collaborate on this topic? Ashley, yeah, do you want to sure. I love telling our story. So we met um, a while back at the University of Pennsylvania. So I was there for undergrad and I met Ted working in his social neuroscience lab doing research there and then ended up working after college with him on a clinical research study. So we were developing um, a program for autistic adults to help facilitate social connection and um, you know, general social functioning, since that's something that is quite difficult for a lot of people on the autism spectrum. So our research it's difficult and our for clinical work. It's difficult yeah, for everybody. That is the right? theme of the book. Yes. Yeah, so mm-hmm. it's part difficult of our for work all of together, us. <laughs> we sort of realized that a lot of the things that we were studying and developing were, you know, applicable to ourselves. And then we knew that it would, you know, resonate with a lot of other people as well. So, so Ted, you were in the social neuro lab. Were you both in the neuro lab? Yeah, I, I'm a faculty member. And so when, when um, Ashley was in college, she started working in my lab and then continued for a few years after that in my lab before grad school. So I'm, I'm still there in the same, pretty much the <laughs> same lab. <laughs> Ashley's moved on to bigger and better things. Over the years, I've interviewed people in your field, psychologists, psychiatrists, uh, therapists, um, And I think back into their clinical days when they were researching, and we think of clinical research, I think first, particularly after coming out of a pandemic, you think, oh, we're testing things like vaccines, like we're trying to figure out what exact titration or the perfect molecules, but you guys do this with people. Mm -hmm. And I think, can you kind of describe a neuroscience research study and kind of the mechanics of getting everybody together, collecting the data, starting with the thesis, trying to figure out how it's going. Can you kind of walk us through that? Fascinating to me. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, I think it depends. There's lots of different kind of subfields of neuroscience. So it depends on the kind of thing you're doing. You know, sometimes you're doing brain imaging and looking at what area of the brain becomes active when you do this or do that. And that's one kind of study. I mean, this kind of study that we were doing was like Ashley said, to try to develop a program for adults on the spectrum with social functioning. And this was a very new area of research, like not a lot had been done. So we were really starting from the very beginning, building something from the ground up. So basically we looked around in the research literature, we saw what had been done, uh, maybe for other groups of people. And we basically created our own program, putting together elements of different things we found we came up with a protocol, like first they'll do this, then they'll do this. We, we can tell you about it if you'd like. Um, 
And then we got what's called IRB approval. There's For every institution, there's an institutional review board that makes sure you're doing things ethically. And we recruited people. We put out ads and we recruited adults on the autism spectrum and had them go through this program. And the, the key thing, the difference, I guess, between just regular clinical work and clinical research is that um, with the clinical research, you're, you're making measurements and you're trying to show to determine whether something is changing, something's getting better. Um, so in our case, we were measuring changes in social functionings, changes in behavior. And and it's not easy to measure. That's a whole other right. conversation. I mean, that's, that's, that seems like the tough part, right? So it is a yeah. subject. It's somewhat subjective. You've got to say, how, like, give me an example. Like, how would you say this particular subject is now creating a better connection with someone else? So how mm -hmm. would that, how would you measure That's a that? great question. That's a great question. Um, you're right. It is somewhat subjective. What we tried to do is use measures that are both subjective. So in other words, self-report questionnaires where the people would fill out information about themselves, how they felt they were doing. Then we also included um, informant report questionnaires. So we would have, with their permission, of course, but we would have someone else who knows them well, like a parent or a sibling or a spouse, um, fill out something about them. Like, how does that other person think they're doing socially? And then we also included, um, you could say, more objective measures in some sense that we had them come into our center and engage in conversations with someone they didn't know well and videotape the conversations, again, all with their permission. And then we had raters who would rate various aspects of how they were doing in terms of their um, ability to engage socially. So, so basically, we tried to get a lot of different perspectives from the person's own perspective, other people's perspective, et cetera, and put it all together. And it's, I would say it's still a work in progress. We're still actually doing the next iteration of this study. Okay. So what was the thesis here of the, of this particular experiment? What are the traits that allow someone to make social connections? So tell me about the, what was your thesis on this particular study? Do you want to take that one, Ashley, or do you want me to? Either way, it's yeah. yeah, it's your turn. So the study, I think, I think one of the most important parts of this study in particular was the fact that we were developing a program that with the purpose of it being disseminated within community mental health centers or within broad spaces where people might not have high levels of training. So you might not need a full psychologist or a psychiatrist to be able to deliver this. And I think that from like a public health standpoint is really important because a lot of clinical research, what happens is you test different programs and treatments and it can take, you know, more than a decade sometimes for it to reach the actual community um, and the broader population. So we were really, you know, that was one of our main focuses. But then in terms of the program, um, you know, application, I think we were trying to target a wide range of things. We were sort of thinking about it, social connection as the combination of being able to manage your emotion. So regulate anxiety, regulate, um, you know, other extreme emotions in order to stay connected with someone, being able to develop those skills that you need for communication. So verbal communication skills, nonverbal communication skills were things that we also targeted in terms of practice. And then you know, the third arm was sort of thinking about how do we help people generalize these skills towards the different 
areas of their life that are going to be most applicable. So whether that's trying to get a job or trying to make friends or trying to develop a better relationship with their spouse, you know, we, we wanted to make it as um, applicable as possible. So you've been studying this in various capacities, social connections. How do we do this as humans? It's, it's not even for the most socially adept humans it's not always easy and not everyone's our friend and we don't connect with everyone. And it really is, I guess it, it's obviously a real science, but what is the inspiration behind Missing Each Other, the book? What did you guys set out to do and teach the world in Missing Each Other? Maybe Ted, I'll go back to you. <clears throat> sure. Yeah. Um, it really grew out of that study we've been talking about because <clears throat> as we were working on this for adults on the spectrum, um, just like you're saying, Wes, we, we started to think, you know, this isn't just for people on the spectrum. This is for any of us. Like pretty much all of us can struggle sometimes with social connection. And, and there's a lot of loneliness and feelings of disconnection in our society. And there's a lot of conflict and so on. So Ashley and I, while working on this research study, we thought, you know, maybe there, there's a book in here for the general population. And I think the essence of our message is that social connection is really complicated but we want to try to make it a little bit better understandable, break it down and give some suggestions about how you can improve your skills, so to speak, or, or get better at this. So again, we can all get better at this. And it's, mm -hmm. it's just like anything else. We can learn. Again, this is one of these things where we inherit, I inherently think on the surface that we just either know how to connect with people or not. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like leadership. You either know how to be a leader or not. Mm -hmm. And what I've learned over the years is there's a lot more to it. It's, it's very much a, a, an education. You can learn to yeah. be a better leader. You can learn some of these traits that we think are just inherent. Mm -hmm. And I think of socialization as kind of like this connections. Well, you're either a great connector because who's studied how to be a good connector or you're not. And maybe that has been, in large part, for centuries, that has been the reality until people like you come along and write books about it and study and say, how do we get better? So let's start with why it is hard. And I, I'm interested to understand, in the population that you originally were studying, let's say those that are autistic on the autistic spectrum, are the obstacles that we all face similar but just more pronounced with someone that might be on, on the spectrum? And tell us what those obstacles are. I think in some ways it it's like that, um, where it's amplified. But I think the one thing with the autism spectrum is it's very diverse. So one of the famous sayings is when you meet one person with autism, you've met one person with autism. And the next one, next person will be very different. But I think some of the challenges, you know, include difficulty with being, you know, in tune with yourself. So having an understanding of your own emotional well-being, identifying emotions within yourself, identifying emotions and um, social cues within another person. Um, you know, there's some other elements of autism that are, you know, unique to the spectrum. But I think those two things that I just said are things that I'm sure there are people in your life who you can say have difficulty with that to some degree. Hey, y'all, it's Mallory Boggs, the producer for the Retire Sooner podcast. From an investment standpoint, the world is changing. We've gone from no inflation to hyperinflation, zero interest rates to much higher interest rates. All of this changes the dynamics for stocks and bonds. So the question for you, are your retirement accounts ready for it? Have you adapted your investments for these major shifts? 
Do you know what kind of income your 401k account is gonna pay you in retirement? If not, maybe it's time for a new perspective. The Retire Sooner team is here to help. If you're ready to talk, reach out to our team and we'll help you take a closer look at how you can generate income in retirement and protect yourself from inflation. We'd love to hear from you. Again, find us at westmoss.com. That's W-E-S-M-O-S-S dot com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So again, this is all of us. This is humans, right? That we have difficulty being in tune with ourselves first. Secondly, trying to pick up on cues or understand how someone else is feeling or how they're in tune with themselves or... So those are two big obstacles that we all have. Is that correct? Yes, I would say that's correct. And it might be helpful to give you a brief summary of like our the framework we put forward in the book, because yeah. I think that's going to get at um, some of these questions. Is that okay? Sure, please but, do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And maybe I'll start it off and then let Ashley, we can sort of tag team it. But um, what we argue is that the essence, when you boil it down, the essence of human connection, or at least a really key part of human connection is what we call attunement, which we define as this ability to be in tune with yourself and another person over the twists and turns of an interaction. And interaction could be a conversation like we're having now, um, but it could even be other things, you know, playing sports on a team with someone or um, dancing with someone or playing music with someone. So this, this fundamental ability to tune into yourself and the other person and what's happening between you. And so that's a really complicated quality, right? Like who could even describe how what's, you know, what's going on between us now, how we tune into each other. It's really complicated. Or how two, you know, basketball teammates moving down the court are able to kind of know what, you know, how do I know what I'm doing? If I'm playing basketball with Ashley, how do I know what I'm doing, what she's doing, what's happening between us? and all the other people on the court, it's really, really complicated. So we break it down into these four parts. Um, We call it relaxed awareness, listening, understanding, and mutual responsiveness. And we have in the book, we have a chapter. I mean, we have a chapter in general on what is attunement. And then we have a chapter on each of these four key elements of attunement and what goes into them, what they are, And even we provide at the end of each chapter exercises for trying to help people to develop each of these. And then, you know, our hope is that then you put it all together. It's it's kind of like just to go back to basketball for a second. It's a little bit like learning to play basketball from the beginning. Right. Like we're not going to go from zero to Michael Jordan instantly. Unless you were, I don't know, insanely talented, I guess. Unless you're Michael Jordan. Unless you're MJ, right. Right. Unless you're Michael Jordan. But like most people, when they're learning basketball, start by breaking it up into parts. Like first you learn to dribble, then you learn to pass, then you learn plays, you do shooting drills. And then ultimately you put it all together into a fluid sequence that you can apply in a game. And so that's kind of how in our clinical study with the adults on the spectrum and in the book, we're trying to approach it by breaking it down into sort of bite-sized skills 
that you can work on and then ultimately put it all together in an interaction. Okay, so attunement, it is complicated. How is that different than um, emotional intelligence or is it is emotional intelligence part of attunement? I think it's part of attunement for sure. We talk about elements of emotional intelligence like being able to read cues, being able to understand someone else's perspective and knowing that other people have perspectives that are different than your own. You know, those are all elements of emotional intelligence. I think attunement is more of like an, you know, overarching umbrella. It's kind of like the essence of what you feel. Like if you could for a second imagine a conversation or imagine a situation where you just felt so in sync with somebody. You know, you had a conversation where you were like you know, sometimes it can even feel spiritual on a level where you feel like this person gets me. I really get this person. We are just, we're in it. We're on the same wavelength. Like it can feel like a flow state, that ephemeral feeling. And I think that's what we're sort of talking about. It can be in a conversation. It could be as fluid as two people dancing, right? It's like when you really are following one another um, in a well-coordinated way. And, and, and it feels good. It's magical. It's beautiful. It doesn't happen all the time. Um, and I think what we talk about in the book is that like, it doesn't happen all the time, but like you were saying, it's a muscle that you can, you can develop and grow and be able to experience more often. You know, so I think about it this way. I, I think of this example I had in this past week, I had two conference calls think of this. I had two conference calls scheduled for it's a large group out of, let's call it Texas. And it was such a big group that we kind of gave the whole body, let's call it 50 folks, two options. We can meet on a, a Zoom on a Wednesday, at, let's call it noon or a Thursday at noon. And we ended up with two separate groups, same exact topic that I was supposed to talk about, same exact topic. And the first group was like, ended up with, let's say 30 people. And the second group ended up with 10 people. So on a Zoom, as you can imagine, 30 people isn't great, right? It's different than a meeting with 30 people. When you, the, if you have a Zoom with more than a few people, it's hard for people to really interact. Mm -hmm. The second group was smaller. So first of all, I was probably less relaxed on the first time because it was the first time I was going through this presentation. It was hard for me to listen. And it was harder for me to understand how the group was feeling. So that whole, um, I would say I walked away from that thing. Oh, it was pretty good, but not great. Mm -hmm. The next day I did the same exact presentation to almost the same group of people, but it was much smaller. So I was way more relaxed. Mm -hmm. I could hear the group because they were more open to talking because there was a few people as opposed to a giant group of people on Zoom. Mm -hmm. It felt like this magical flow. So I walked away from that as thinking, that was one of the best hour and a half interactions I've ever had on a Zoom call. And it was almost identical, but it felt like what you're describing here is that second one was a much higher level of attunement. I was totally in tune with them mm -hmm. and they were totally in tune with me. And I think about how you guys kind of break this down was think about being relaxed in a social presentation or interaction, playing sports, playing music, doing a presentation relaxation really is an amazing first step. So, and then understanding and listening and being able to actually hear people as opposed to having words go right in one ear and out the other. So I guess I felt this sense of attunement, but we don't get it all the time. So tell me how to have that every single time, guys. 
<laughs> I wish I could tell you that. Um, and let's start with, let's go back to the Dalai Lama. So you, I know that you, in the book you write about this quality of connection from the perspective of the Dalai Lama. Let's go there first. Talk to me about that. Yeah. I mean, in the book, we, we start out the book with some examples of people who do this really, really well. I mean, partly for inspiration and just as an example of what we're talking about. Um, so we start off the book with this story about the Dalai Lama. Um, there's a professor, Bob Thurman in Columbia in New York, and someone once asked, and, and he's very close with the Dalai Lama, and someone once asked him, like, have you ever seen the Dalai Lama perform a miracle? Like hoping that they would say something like really crazy, like, you know, he levitated or he cured someone of some terrible illness. And Bob Thurman wasn't quite sure what to say. And then his wife, Nena, stepped in and said, yeah, I've seen him perform plenty of miracles. And the, the guy got even really more interested. But what she said is he's a very busy person and he meets with people all the time. But in all the meetings I've seen him in, he always gives each person his complete attention, even if it's just for a moment or two. It's like he's completely tuned in and focused on that person. And um, it's miraculous. You know, and I, I think the person who asked the question was a little bit disappointed because it didn't sound supernatural. But but yet that ability to really um, focus, even when you're busy and you're tired and you're harried and you have a million other things going on, to just take that moment to really tune into another person. Um, she, she found to be miraculous. So, yeah. So I think none of us is going to be perfect, maybe except maybe the Dalai Lama, but none of us is going to be perfect at this all the time. And that's one of the big themes of the book is that, you know, we're not asking people to try to be perfect or be per perfectionistic, but it's more like what you said, Wes, that, you know, no matter where you are in terms of your, of your natural ability to connect with others, we think that there are ways to work on this to get better at it at least some of the time and even a small relatively what seems like a small improvement even just some of the time can really pay off in your life you know what i mean like if people in your life whether it's people you don't know well or even people really important to you feel like wow we we just really had a moment there where we really connected maybe not every minute of the day but we had we had a like ashley said like we had a few moments there where we really i felt like we got each other that can be really super valuable, like transformative even. So I want to talk about how you guys talk in the book about how you can improve this. Let's go through the four again. So relaxation, listening, understanding, and the fourth mutual, what was the fourth? Mutual responsiveness. Yeah. Responsiveness. Mm -hmm. um, so how do we get better at these? I mean, give us maybe a little bit of a prescription overview of how do we get better at a t social attunement you know, I think about our audience who is figuring out a way so that they can stop full grinding work maybe a little sooner, right? So our theme on, you know, our mission on Retire Sooner podcast is to help a million people retire at least one year sooner. Ironically, when we started this a year ago, uh, I don't think we accounted for what the pandemic would do. And we had something <laughs> like 3 million people actually retire uh, sooner than they would have thought all wow. within a year. So we trip tripled our goal for the retire sooner podcast, but I don't think it really had a lot to do with us. <laughs> it just had to do with the natural state of the economy, people getting fed up with their jobs, realizing, right. Oh wow, I have enough money. I'm going to retire. So we had this massive wave of people retiring early. Mm -hmm. uh, it just so happened to coincide with the retire sooner podcast. Maybe we'll take a, a little bit of credit for a few yeah. people, but who knows? Yeah. Um, but let's think about that where, that really tough 
transition, we tend to think, oh, if I have the money side of retirement figured out, we have multiple kind of foundational money items that people, checkpoints you kind of need to get to, a certain amount of liquid net worth so that you can produce income, multiple income streams, getting rid of a mortgage. These are kind of just the money foundations of being able to stop working. But the other side that is equally as difficult, it's probably more difficult because the prescription isn't as defined. With money, we know I need to have at least X amount. 500000 is a bare minimum for early retirees. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could argue that the number needs to be higher as inflation goes through the roof in the United States. You can argue that, hey, you need to get rid of your mortgage at some point. There's a formula to do that. You need to have multiple streams of income. It's very clear what you need to do. Socially, when I say, look, you're going from having this purpose this, this, this great meaning of work, you have all these social connections because you have this team, and then you go and you no longer have the team, you no longer have the dignity of your work, you no longer have your purpose, mm-hmm. it's really tough for a lot of people, even the happy retiree group. It takes a lot of effort to continue these, these social interactions and continue social connectedness. So tell me how we could maybe get better at that in under your umbrella of attunement going through those steps, relaxing, listening, et cetera. Maybe Ashley and I could tag team at this. Uh, yeah. Do you want to, who, who should start, Ashley? I Ashley, let's just start with you. Yeah, I'll get it yeah. started with relaxed awareness. So that's kind of like the foundation of all of the skills, all of the pillars. I think it goes back to what we already mentioned, which is being able to be in tune with both yourself and the other person that you're trying to connect with, right? We think of it as like both the mind and body situation. And so in a transition like you're talking about, your mind has been in all sorts of areas, all sorts of places, trying to focus on this one goal for so long. And now all of a sudden you're in this new place, right? And so it's almost like sometimes I think people I've heard feel like it's full stop. It's like a shock. You know, what do I do? And so one of the elements of relaxed awareness is taking stock of yourself. And we do this like in the book, we talk about exercises related to um, mindfulness meditation. We have steps describing a simple breathing exercise, for example. But I think, you know, what we think about in using these exercises is something simple that you can practice yourself to get a sense of how you're doing, what are the emotions running through you, what are the areas that your brain is focusing on, Um, but then being able to build up on that and using those skills, not just with yourself, you know, alone on a yoga mat, in in a yoga class, but being able to take that skill with you in conversation. So we sort of explain how you can then use that breathing exercise you know, when reconnecting with your spouse or reconnecting with your older children who you haven't had as much time to like sit down and be with, right? And that can bring up a whole host of emotions of like, what do I do? I haven't done this in so long. You might feel anxiety. You might feel fear of like not feeling that same connection. There's a lot running through people um, and it can look so many different ways. So I think that number one step of taking stock, you did that yourself, right? In your Zoom conversation, you were more relaxed, you were able, and that opened you up to being able to hear better, to listen better. So I think that first foundational piece is is where we start. Relaxed awareness and being in tune with yourself. And I think that part of it maybe is the harder part, right? Mm -hmm. Is that how do you get in? It takes maybe some time to get in tune 
and rediscover yourself. And I think that we have millions of people in America that are 10,000 people a day retire in America. 10,000 people in any given day have to kind of go through this really big life transition and they have to kind of get re-in-tune with their new version of themselves to some extent. And that's tough. For sure. I can, I mean, from my personal experience, my parents actually retired fairly early in like their late 50s, early 60s. And they sort of, you know, had this new exciting phase of life. But on the other hand, it was also daunting. It was, they had been working so hard. They had been, you know, had a lot of stress that is no longer there. But then that builds, that sort of fills your brain with like, well, shouldn't I be stressed? Shouldn't I be harried? Shouldn't I be doing something? Shouldn't I be, you know, my dad's constantly like, I need to find another project to do. You know, it's, it's, it's almost like we don't even know how to relax and be in tune with what's going on with ourselves and the other person. So it did for sure. It's a transition. And I think one of the, I would say one of the first things to do is start to develop and cultivate self-compassion and knowing that it's not going to be immediate. So what, what does that even mean? What is self-compassion? Is that me being nice to myself, Ashley? <laughs> yeah, we all say, I mean, at least in the psych world, right? We all have our own inner voice. We, we talk to ourselves constantly. Our mind is on always, most of the time. And I think we're not even like aware of all the things that our self-talk is saying. Sometimes it's super negative. Sometimes it's more positive. But I think relaxed awareness also gives you a sense of, you know, when I'm trying to have a conversation with my spouse, am I, you know, by doing a simple breathing exercise and checking in with yourself during that conversation, you start to develop this muscle of being aware of, is my mind racing to other things while I'm focusing here? Am I, you know, feeling really anxious about something else? That's a really hard skill to do because we are moving. Which is getting, this is getting back to being in tune. This is Mm -hmm. really understanding kind of what you're saying about the Dalai Lama is really being able to understand what the other person is saying. And I guess in being in tune with yourself too, which this is so much deeper than what I write about in my book. Whereas I'm thinking, you know, in my mind, it is just about just stay super busy like your dad, have a million projects, have 47 core pursuits, um, start a YouTube channel, just keep busy, keep totally engaged with 30 other things. And you can, some, that's what some people are going to need. Um, and I think mm-hmm. it just, but I think for others, it might take a while to think, to figure out what that is going to look like for you. And so knowing that it doesn't have to be immediate, there is no one right answer. It doesn't, I mean, I think you probably out of everyone know that it's, there's no blueprint that everyone follows. That's exact. It, it is a unique fingerprint for every single family, every right. single person in the world, every American that ends up going this journey of being able to retire. They all get there in a different way. So not there's not one exact formula for having financial success. Mm-hmm. And then when you transition into retirement, there's no exact perfect blueprint for people either. You guys approach this really in your book, Missing Each Other. You kind of, You approach this, I think, fundamentally even deeper than and the, how I've always approached this. And this is what I appreciate about what you're bringing to the show today. So Ted, what about listening? I mean, how can we be, so hopefully I'm relaxed. Hopefully I'm in tune. Mm-hmm. And does that just help me be a better listener? Or can I train myself to be a better listener as well? I think you can train yourself. Um, yeah. So relaxed awareness is this, what we call like this foundational state of mind and body that then gives you a foundation to be a better listener because 
if you're not so tense and distracted and harried, um, then you can actually focus more. You can focus on the other person. And I think one of the things we talk about in the book, which you guys have sort of been talking about too, is becoming a better listener in the sense of listening to the other person. And when, when you're retiring, I think, you know, during those really busy work years, you were probably really distracted by a million things. And I know myself, my email inbox and the boss wants you to do this. And But so this could be an opportunity to um, really invest. And sometimes that wears away at our relationship. So when you retire and you have some more time, like maybe you could make one of your priorities is, you know, <laughs> 43,000 oh emails. Oh my God. Wow. That even like dwarfs we all me. Do. We, yeah. Yeah. We all do. Right. Right. So <laughs> we're going to so talk about idea, that after the show. Yeah, I know. Um, the idea of like thinking like this is an opportunity as I retire to really, I'm going to try to listen more. So, you know, whatever time I have with my kids or with my spouse or whatever, like, can I just lay other things aside and even for a five minutes, like really just try to listen to them. And I, I think that can do wonders for your relationship. And I think, like we've said, it's um, it's a muscle. It's a skill that you can practice and get better at. And um, for some people, you know, we're also distracted by our devices, like the 43,000 emails. Um, and so for some people, it's hard for 10 seconds to stay focused on what someone else is saying. But I think you can just like building up the number of reps you do with a dumbbell, you can say like, I'm going to make it a minute this time, like where I really try to focus on the other person. And one of the things we also talk about is as you're focusing on the other person, sort of checking in with yourself too, not completely losing sight of yourself. And one thing about the retirement thing I was thinking is, um, this idea of taking stock, like listening to yourself and thinking to yourself, like, I'm a unique, I'm my own person. What do I need in retirement to make it fulfilling for me? Like, am I the type of person that I've always just, what I've really wanted to do is just be out on the golf course all day long and I'll be happy as a clam if I do that. Or am I the type of person who, um, you know, I need some sense of purpose and mission and even if I'm not going to be as busy sure, to as to lower your golf score. Yeah. 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 <laughs> even if I'm not going to be as busy as I was in my work life, like, is there some purpose that I like some, some cause or something that I've been really interested in? Like maybe could I do some volunteer work that I would find meaningful and would give me a sense of purpose. And interestingly, that's one of the things we worked on in our intervention for adults on the spectrum was we had this element of a volunteer work. So anyway, that idea of listening by the, to yourself. By the way, Ted, yeah. the, uh, the number one core pursuit, which are, I talk about in my book, What the Happiest Retirees Know, I call core pursuits a really important piece of the equation. I compare happy and unhappy retirees in my research, and the happy group ends up with at least 3.6 or almost four core pursuits or hobbies on steroids. And if you dive deeper into what those are, I'm of the belief that it doesn't matter what they are as long as you have them. It really mm -hmm. doesn't matter. Yeah. However... I do keep track of them, and, and the number one and the most popular core pursuit that shows up in the happy HROP group, Happiest Retirees on the Block, the happy group, is volunteering. So that is interesting because it, it is yeah. an activity, but it also is a, it really sends a purpose. Yeah. And uh, so I, I appreciate that as, a, as an example. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So then again, this kind of flows into the thought of if I'm relaxed and then I'm listening, I guess I'm, I'm also, it's just easier to be understanding, Ashley. So now I can understand you if I'm really hearing you. Well, that's the hope. But there are a lot of things that get in the way of being able to understand someone. So mm-hmm. I think if you are relaxed, like you're saying, if you're able to, being able to regulate yourself and whatever's going on for you, being more in tune with the other person, you're ideally going to be able to interpret what they're saying accurately. But I think one of the things to keep in mind as you're reinvesting and redeveloping relationships is to know that people are always evolving and changing and people are dynamic. And so even if you've been married for 45 years, you are still, you know, the value in going into with humility of feeling like there's always still things to learn. There's always still things to understand about someone and not going in with assumptions. I think sometimes that helps with understanding other people, you know, taking stock of your own biases or your own maybe mood or emotions in the moment that might be filtering what someone is saying and kind of skewing, you know, your interpretation of what they're saying. So there there are a lot of different kind of I think dynamics that can make understanding difficult, but I think as long as you are, you know, trying to be really conscious of conscious taking stock of, you know, am I interpreting this right? You know, asking questions even, like summarizing, reflecting on what someone said to be able to get their take on, is that what you're trying to say? Is that, you know, um, am I getting that right kind of thing? That, that sort of piece is, I think, part of it. Well, it makes me want to ask you about kind of the angry world that we live in. Yeah. Uh, and because I don't know if we're, I don't know if we understand each other all that well uh, in, in America right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, in general, there's a big divide in the United States. And I don't know exactly why that is and why it continues to crescendo and get maybe a bigger divide. But does that go back to kind of your last point of this, which is this mutual attentiveness, mutual response? Mm-hmm. Tell me about this responsiveness. responsiveness. What does that mean? Re- mutual responsiveness. I don't know inherently what does that what does that mean? I've been listening. Yeah, I promise, but I don't understand. Okay, <laughs> the way we summarize it is: relaxed awareness is the foundational state of mind and body. Listening is a sort of openness to another person, taking in things from them. You know their cues. Understanding is sort of processing that ourselves and trying to understand it. But then mutual responsiveness is what you actually do towards the other person in this process of attunement. It's it's what ha- you know. It's the active component. It's what happens between you and um, and and sometimes I think the easiest way to explain this is to use a kind of an example or or an analogy. And an off one that I often use is dancing with someone because I think to dance to do ballroom dancing with someone you have to be attuned to each other to do it well. God, I mean, this is so hard. Why are you using this example? It's so difficult <laughs> to do ballroom so terrible dancing. Terrible at that. I mean, no. I mean, I can't even. 
Yeah, I see it in a movie. I'm like, oh my goodness, how do you do that? It seems I mean, it, impossible. It could be a good thing to do for retirement. Start taking ballroom dance. It could improve attunement skills. But you know, yeah, let's not let's not even think about trying to be like dancing with the stars or some championship whatever tango dancers. Okay. We're just forget talking about Fred Astaire. Okay, forget yeah. Fred Astaire. We're just talking about basic box step <laughs> um, dancing together. So. And, and this will illustrate what we're talking about with mutual responsiveness, because the first thing we say with mutual responsiveness is meet, try to meet the other person where they are. So you've listened to them, you've tried to understand them, and then you meet them where they are. So with dancing, that's literally like you got to get into the position with that. You're meeting them where they are. You don't want to be over there. Um, and, and with a conversation, it's more like um, I use an example with my kids, like sometimes I come home at the end of the day and I say, how is your day to the kids who are in school? And they're like, fine. Like they won't tell me anything. And what right. they really want to do good. is they're playing with good. some toy. Yeah. Good. Good. And what I found, what I found is if I'm in a good state myself and I can quote unquote, meet them where they are. So like they want to play with the ball and I'll just start playing with them with the ball. Like that's where they are. That's what they want to do. I meet them there. And then as we're playing with the ball, we're, we're playing catch or whatever then suddenly everything about their day will come spilling out, right? Because I met yeah. them where they are. If I try to force them and say, well, tell me how your day was, I'll get nowhere, you know? So, so true. You, yeah. So it's so it starts with meeting the other person where they are, which I think for a lot of um, kind of, I hate to say it, but for a lot of Americans, we're, we're taught, you know, be assertive, you know, take control, be a leader, push the agenda. But I, so this is a very kind of a different, almost paradoxical way, rather than pushing the other person to do something, you're meeting them where they are. But the thing is, when you do that, you can open up a connection with them. And then actually you, you actually have more sway than in the interaction by doing that. Because if you meet them where they are, like with my kids, they'll actually then engage with you and start to listen with you. And that's a and really that, good example. In a way, that kind of gets back to what you were talking about earlier about angry Americans and how we're all so divided and angry at each other. And I think a lot, a lot of times, what happens is that we kind of demonize each other and we say, "Well, if you're on the other side of that issue, then you're not even human. Like I can't, you know, you're horrible." And I think um, it's understandable that people have strong feelings about a lot of these issues. But I think if there's more of this willingness to Try to listen, even if you don't agree, try to understand, try to imagine things from the other person's point of view, even if you don't agree, and then kind of meet them where they are. Uh, in other words, at least be willing to talk to them and engage with them, even if you even if you strongly disagree. But I think that can open up a dialogue and a connection. And, and then in mutual responsiveness, we talk about this kind of give and take back and forth. Um, you know, you again, with dancing, it's like, the person sort of adjusts and you feel that and you're kind of adjusting to each other. It's this back and forth of mutual responsiveness. And then there's what we call um, staying in the flow. And I, I won't go on much longer, but that just means like over the course of the interaction, trying to stay with them. Like if you're dancing with someone, you want to stay in the flow with them, feel the music. You don't want to get distracted and wander off. And now no one's perfect at this. Um, we all get a little distracted, but then learning this process of, okay, I got distracted. How can I kind of refocus back on what's happening between us? Um, yeah, I, th I think it was almost like riding a horse too. It's almost yeah. like this, this exact responsiveness that it's almost, almost instantaneous. 
in order to have to be able to ride a horse. Uh, exactly. Ashley, what do you think? Why are we so why are we so angry? Why is the world more divided than ever? Or is it not? And we've always been this way, but it's just more noticeable because of social media. Is that really just what it is? Have we always been this divided? I think it might be, you know, more noticeable for the reasons that you're describing, but I think there are a lot of things that give people the right to be angry in the way that the world is right now. Um, But I think one element to maybe break it down even more is this idea of we've become more reactive as well to each other. And that might be, you know, in part due to the stresses that we're going through, the pandemic is making everyone stress. It's, it's, um, you know, lowering our threshold. It's making us more sensitive, I think, to difficulties, to miscommunication. Um, and that reactivity is something that also gets in the way of our ability to understand one another, right? If someone says something that doesn't sit well with you, or it's not what you expected, or it's not what you were thinking, you might feel like shutting down. You might feel like, I don't even want to hear this or engage with this. I don't have the capacity for it. And so, you know, I think part of it is thinking about what is your goal. And like Ted was saying, if your goal is to be able to connect, if your goal is to be able to you know, have conversation and to find a solution, for example, then what is, you know, throwing your hat down and stomping away going to do for you in terms of getting you closer to that goal? It probably isn't going to do much, but it's going to take a lot of practice to be able to lower that kind of, you know, the heat that you're feeling. And I think that brings us back to relaxed awareness, right? We're not going to be able to be in tune or aware of the situation around us if we're not able to regulate ourselves. And we don't necessarily mean you have to be relaxed. You know, I don't need you to be, you know, calm as a cucumber all the time because attunement also doesn't mean that you have to be, you know, happy-go-lucky. You can be well-attuned with someone in an argument. You can be Mm well-attuned with someone in terms of trying to understand very different points of view. I Um, totally get where you're coming from, but I totally am... I'm totally in tune, but I totally disagree. That's fine, right? Yeah, as long as there's respect, Missing- there's genuine, you know, genuine interest and and acceptance of that person, regardless of what is going on in the conversation. That's, I think, something we're really lacking, and we don't have as much practice with. Missing each other: the story of Congress 2022. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, both sides just are like, I don't even hear you. I don't hear you. Imagine if they actually could figure out some way to have some attunement with each other, social attunement. Um, as we wrap up today, can you just think of one parting thought around someone that's going through a transition? So we're, we're trying to help people understand to get into this transition, either moving jobs or going to a, a less phase of work. So lower work, maybe go from full-time to part-time. Maybe we go from full-time, we call that the retirement gray zone, or just I'm done. And, and, and you really are, are fully doing a full stop on work. Mm-hmm. What would you suggest, Ted, as a parting thought for people making that transition? I think that you know, when people, they say when people reach towards the end of their lives and they look back on regrets and things like that, it's what they wish they had invested more in was relationships and, and some sense of meaning. And that meaning doesn't have to be with paid work. I mean, it could be with um, something else that's important to you. And um, maybe it's relationships itself. So I, I think that as people are making a transition and they have a little bit more time in their schedule, they will really benefit tremendously by 
investing more of themselves into improving the quality of their relationships. You know, and I like that reminder too, Ted, because it's easy for me to be able to work all the time. And I can justify that easier in my head. It's just easier to always say, I'm always doing something, always productive, always working, always providing for the family, always growing the business, always growing the podcast, always growing something. Mm -hmm. And one thing I think my research actually taught me, and that's why I, I think these podcasts are really just to remind me of how to live a better life. <laughs> and it is great to talk to people like you guys as a constant reminder so I, I actually think I've shifted my mind about a decade ago of this is that as I really started to dive into this research is that I, I don't look at these relationships. I try not to, I can easily slip away from this as a nice to have a reward. Uh, well, it, of course, when I get the time or it's, it would be nice if I could reward myself with social time. I look at it as an absolute must because I know if you don't have it, and I know it takes time. It takes effort. It's easy to just work all the time and do kids all the time. But if you don't prioritize and say, well, my life is going to be totally worthless if I don't carve out time that is for social. And maybe I'll start thinking now of social attunement, but relationships at the end of our life and meaning number one, number one, and number one. Ashley, what do you think is a parting thought here today? Sure. I think for people who are going through a transition like you're describing, um, one thing I would encourage you to think about is what we know from research is that we are terrible estimators of how we're going to feel in the future. And mm. so when we go into a new situation, we're, we're, you know, we're often consumed by fear of what's gonna, what it's going to be like. And you know, the data show that what we do is we overestimate how negative that experience might be or overestimate, you know, the potential negative of what it could look like. And we underestimate how happy we might be with this new change. So just taking, you know, stock of that idea and thinking about the fact that you might be underestimating how great this new transition might be for you. Um, and hopefully wow. you know, it brings hope to people as they, as they start something new. I really like that. You may be underestimating just how happy you're going to be mm -hmm. in the future. I think we leave it at that. So Ashley Palathra, Ted Brodkin, thank you so much for your work, your book, Missing Each Other, and this deeper level beyond what I've talked about here on the Retire Sooner podcast, this deeper level of how to have this social attunement to make our social relationships better, which is a not a nice to have, but a 100% must have to be a happy retiree. So thank you guys for joining the Retire Sooner podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. This was great. Hey, y'all. This is Mallory with the Retire Sooner team. Please be sure to rate and subscribe to this podcast and share it with a friend. If you have any questions, you can find us at westmoss.com. That's W-E-S-M-O-S-S.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and YouTube. You'll find us under the handle Retire Sooner Podcast. And now for our show's disclosure.
This podcast is provided to you as a resource for informational purposes only and is not to be viewed as investment advice or recommendations. This information is being presented without consideration of the investment objectives, risk tolerance, or financial circumstances of any specific investor and might not be suitable for all investors. It is not intended to and should not form a primary basis for any investment decision that you may make. Always consult your own legal, tax, or investment advisor before making any investment or financial planning considerations. Please refer to the full disclosure in the podcast description for any additional information.